Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast here on the campus of Cedarville University. I'm Jared Piles, and with me is Dr. Robert McDowell. We're starting a couple episodes here with an interview with Dr. Quentin Schultz, who has written several books, one on servant teaching, and we wanted to get his opinion and his thoughts on his book, but also his overall philosophy uh, of education as it goes to servant teaching. So here is the first part of our interview with Dr. Quentin Schultz. So, Dr. Schultz, thank you for joining us. Uh, I was wondering, if, would you be able to just provide us a little bit of your background? Sure, Rob. We could we could get into the background. Well, I'm, first of all, let me say I'm honored to be doing the podcast with you. And the fact that you're interested in this topic of servant teaching really tickles my heart because teaching is so close to what I've done for years at the college level and what I'm passionate about. So this is just great. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Quentin Schultz, and Quentin is spelled Q-U-E-N-T-I-N. From the Latin for five, I was the fifth one in the family. And friends call me Quinn, Q-U-I-N. You think of quintuplets or whatever. I had two much older brothers, and uh, they left the house uh, when I was fairly young. So I was pretty much raised on my own with a dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was a paranoid schizophrenic. And eventually they were divorced, and I lived with my mother, and she was not capable of raising me. And But I, I went on by the grace of God through that and became a Christian when I went to the University of Illinois. And that was really life-transforming. And I studied communication. And communication became a huge part of my life, partly because I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't good at it. I was a super introvert. I never went to a single social event in high school. So I became a communication teacher, scholar, writer. And at the same time, I was becoming a Christian, deeper and deeper Christian. And I related those two together. And that kind of led me to a strong interest when I became a teacher of looking at teaching itself as communication. And how do you really do that well? So let me ask you a follow-up to that. Um, do you think, and this kind of leads us into our next question about your motivation for writing a book about servant teaching, do you think your background informed your teaching practice, specifically with servant teaching? Yes, my background in a strange way was, was and continues to be a real blessing as a teacher. And oddly enough, when you grow up in the kind of background that I did, you, you, you tend to empathize with other people who uh, have struggles or have difficulties. At least that's true in my life. And so I tended to become a pretty empathetic teacher. And even at the college level, recognizing all the time myself that students have a background, they have a life, they have a life outside of their life as a student. And the more that I understand that, know about it, and can serve them within that context, the better I will be as a teacher. But I will also say that I think my background in communication was probably the best thing I could have studied to become a teacher. 
because teaching is so much involved in communication and in listening to students, in listening to yourself as a Christian, listening to God through the whole process, and then being clear, uh, being forthright, uh, being transparent when it's appropriate. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that communication is really, really helpful for teaching. It seems like you have a really well-defined philosophy of your own teaching, and you've tied in communication with that. What would you say to the teacher or the faculty member who doesn't come from that background? What what kind of advice would you give them? Well, the first thing I would have to say is that we all, almost all of us as professors in higher education did not receive much real training on how to teach. We may have done some graduate teaching. Uh, we have role models from professors, but often those role models are not the best because they're not particularly good communicators themselves and good teachers themselves. Not because they don't care, but they too have not been trained. So I, I think the first thing I would say is that for all of us, we should take a look at ourselves and how well we're really doing. Uh, my guess is that we are operating at about 60%, that's six zero percent capacity in our teaching. And there is so much more that we can do. A lot of it very simple communication and teaching practices that will greatly enhance our teaching, greatly increase student learning. So things can happen. And no matter how old we are, or how long we've been teaching, by changing some habits and looking at what I call servant teaching, we can make a huge difference. So you mentioned habits. Um, what do you think is the most common habit or barrier that gets in the way of, of a higher education, a Christian higher education, or higher education in general, faculty member? Um, what's a big barrier that you see um, for servant teaching? Yeah, one barrier is that uh, much teaching is not really student-focused. Uh, I could give you a lot of examples of this, but let's take a few. Uh, how do we select our textbook? Do, do students have any input in that? Do the students like the text? Do we even ask them if they like it? Or do we assume that we know that the textbook itself connects with them well? Another kind of thing is office hours. We're generally required at universities where we sit in our office and maybe once in a while a student will come by to talk with us. But for the most part, office hours don't work. Uh, because they're not student-focused anymore, and, and students don't know what to do with them. So I switched from office hours to cafe hours. I would meet in public cafes around campus, and then I would text students early in the morning and let them know where and when I would be and stop by if they would like. That greatly increased my interaction with students and helped me find out what was going on with students, and if they were in trouble, if they needed help on things that they wouldn't have otherwise come to uh, talk with me about. Another example of being student-focused is uh, what I call uh, feedback cards or evaluation cards. I give out index cards four times a semester or a term as it may be, and I ask the students anonymously just to answer a few simple questions. One is, what's going well in the course? Another, what's not going so well? Third question is, what can I do better? And boy, they give me great advice there. And then the fourth thing is, what can you as a student do better 
to help remind them that there are things that they can do better as well. So I, I think becoming student-focused is, is really important. Also, a barrier is that we tended to see teaching as a short-term delivery of information. We don't see teaching as teaching for life for long-term, let's say three to five years out. So we tend to cover too much material, most of which is just learned by students for the short term for exams or quizzes, and they won't keep it with them. Uh, students use the word regurgitation. They learn something short term to regurgitate it. And I actually think we can do less work as teachers and have more impact on the students by focusing on better examples and illustrations and applications of information than focusing on too much information. And another thing I would say that has been a real barrier for us in Christian higher education is we don't really focus on spiritual growth of the students. For, for example, on, on day one, I will say to my students, now this is a Christian school and I'm a Christian, which means I'm a follower of Jesus. And I hope you are too, but if you're not, or you'd never really thought about that, or you wonder about it, or let's say you have doubts, I'm glad you're here. I want to welcome you if you have doubts. And then I talk about the writer of the book of Hebrews who, going through all these great people of faith, refers to Abraham and says, Abraham went forward in faith even though he didn't know where he was going. And I say to my students, you know, I don't know where I'm going sometimes following Jesus, but I'm staying on the path. And so let's do that together. So there are a lot of ways, but I, I do think that these barriers are common things where there are certain assumptions and so we don't act like servant teachers. I, uh, one thing I should tell you about is that I had an experience decades ago where a student took the notes and the textbook for the course, and I had written the textbook. And at the end of a final exam, when the students would turn in their material and leave, the student came up, gave me the exam, and then walked toward the door and took my book and his notes and threw them very loudly in the trash can. And it startled everyone who looked up and people chuckled and all. But I thought to myself at that point, uh, what would it take for me to get that student to want to keep the notes for the course for the rest of the life, for the rest of his life? And that became my goal to move toward. Now that's a high goal, it's an impossible goal, but that's what led me to servant teaching. So Dr. Schultz, as a follow-up, one of the things that I think those with PhDs or those who have been gone through a terminal degree of some sort, one of the things that you're always told is you're the smartest person in the room, so to speak. You know, you're the master of this content. How would you advise faculty to deal with that feeling or that weight as well as balancing that with a student-centered approach and and the gaps that can occur when, you know, you have those times when you don't feel like the smartest person in the room. Well, learning is a lifelong process for us as teachers and also for the students. And so we're, we're always learning things, and some, uh, some are good things, let's say, good habits or correct information or truth and the like, and other things are not so uh, admirable. So I, I look at it as a process, 
And sometimes I'm going to be successful and I'm other times not. And students are going to be successful as learners and sometimes not. But if we are together working at the point where we're both excited, and we're all at that page where we have a desire, curiosity, we're inspired, we're engaged, then good things are going to happen. And so I want to take the best of what I know at the time, and sometimes I, even in my own discipline of communication, new research comes out and I find out I was teaching something that was not exactly fully correct. But I, to the best of my ability, I want to take what are the, the essentials, the most important things, and make those accessible to the students and applicable in a way where they want to apply them to their lives and they're excited about them and they want to talk about them outside of class. But I do distinguish between two different kinds of classes. One is, let's say, a general core class or a basic course where we can cover a few essentials, let's say two or three main things every class meeting, whether it's online or in person. Focus on those with examples and illustrations. And then there are other courses that are information rich, where you have to cover a lot of information. Often this is true in the sciences, for instance, or really any courses where there's a follow-up course that presumes a lot of information. So how do I help students in particular with these information-rich courses where we're all going to be bogged down with a lot of information? Well, there I turn to a lot of information to students in advance about what's going to be covered. So I will give students, let's say, a 7- to 10-page single-spaced outline of everything we're going to cover, all the main points in order that we're going to cover them, and let the students check those off along the way, and then they can use those outlines for their study. We can use them when we do review sessions and the like, so I want to make it as easy as possible when there's a lot of information. But if a student raises a question in class that challenges me along the way, I'm grateful for that. Even if it might seem like a dumb question, that the student is asking questions, and that's curiosity, and that means learning. So I have to affirm that student and thank them for that question, and then without making them feel badly at all, move forward to, to answer it. That also, <clears throat> as an instructor, um, keeps you humble as well. Uh, you talk about the feedback cards, you talk about students asking questions, and that outline is almost an accountability thing that you, a contract you've created with your students um, and you, um, almost like we do course objectives and, uh, and the such, like these are the measures that show, like by the end of this course, my students should be able to do these things. So create an outline um, kind of helps you stay accountable to them as well, and they can keep you in check. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, uh, if there are things that I don't have time to cover, then I can just admit that and say, hey, this is not going to be covered. It's on the outline. Oh, I forgot to mention with the InfoRidge courses in the outline, I also will put next to each point the page number or numbers from one or more books uh, where those topics are covered. So when students use this contract-like outline, uh, they also have the backup of the other material to look at as well. And I do think a syllabus, as we call them, tend to be, or at least should be, somewhat like a contract. But 
we don't write a syllabus in a way that's inspiring and interesting to students. Most syllabi are pretty, pretty dry, and the students don't even necessarily want to read them. And, and a lot of students don't follow them. Even if we put the rubrics or the criteria for grading in the syllabus, they may not follow them closely unless we go over them in class. So I'm big on writing a syllabus that is more interesting, has a little more fun to it, says this is going to be a relationship in the course and we both have our responsibilities. And I put in the syllabus one of the things is that I will return all assignments very quickly. I expect you to turn things in on time but I'm going to tell you that I'm going to return things on time as my part. And the first time I do that, the students are blown away because I, I pre-schedule my life for a term in such a way that I have a lot of time when each assignment comes in to grade those in advance. I lock in that time rather than let other things get in the way. So typically, I will return whatever the assignment is, even a paper for a whole class, the next class or at the latest two classes later. So wrapping up, that was the first segment of three parts of our interview with Dr. Schultz. Uh, Rob, in that section, he talks about specifically um, the students that are taking his course, and he wants to take the essentials of his discipline, what he calls the most important things, and make those things accessible to his students. He said this is a great way to serve his students as they move into their discipline. Well, I think that makes complete sense. I mean, anyone who really values their discipline, should make it as accessible to those who are seeking to do the same. That seems to me to be, you know, of first importance. Of course, being a Christian and following Christ, but in so doing, taking taking that content seriously. Join us next time. You'll hear more from Dr. Quentin Schultz, specifically about cheating, and we talk about chat GPT. So make sure you join us for that next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.